As I begin this morning, I just want to share quickly how powerful that song that we just sang is in my life this morning. What a gift God has provided through the, the singing of who he is and what he's done. And, and there's a line in that song that we just sang that says, his power has trampled death and grave. That's an incredible statement. His power has trampled death and grave. Yesterday, Megan and I were in Atlanta and I had the, the privilege of, of doing a memorial service for a friend. And it was hard. Just a few years older than me. His son's the same age as my son Brody. Daughter's about the same age as my daughter Annabeth. And he had had a hard journey. He'd been through a whole lot. He had seen some of the, the best the world has to offer and he had seen some of the worst the world has to offer. And yet I know without a doubt, because we had many conversations about it, that he had placed his faith in Jesus Christ and his hope was so much bigger than anything that he could experience in this world alone. And so yesterday we gathered and we celebrated that there is power that trampled death and the grave. And that there is hope beyond this life for any and everyone who trusts their life to Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord. And so I just want to say this right up front. I have no idea what you might be walking through right now. I have no idea what you have experienced in your story. And I realize you may be here this morning feeling like there's not a lot of hope or feeling like you're not sure which direction to go or what to do based on the circumstances of your life. And I just wanna say personally before you, just what I've experienced this morning in my own life, being reminded through the singing of God's people and the good news of what God has done, that his power has trampled death and grave, which means his power is great enough for anything that you may need right now. And that is good news. And there is hope. And I just needed to say it because the Lord's been stirring in my heart this morning. And I am so grateful that we now get to turn our attention together to the word of God to see where this power and this hope is on display through Jesus Christ. We're going to be in John chapter 8 this morning. We're looking at some statements that Jesus makes about himself in the Gospel of John. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to John's Gospel. It's right near the beginning of the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you, we got Bibles all over the room. We'd encourage you to grab one. Hey, if you don't have a Bible at home, take one of these with you. We, we want you to have access to the Word of God. We want you to see what the Word of God is laying before us here together. 
We're coming to the second statement it recorded in John's gospel that Jesus makes about himself. These, these statements are often called the I am statements of Jesus because seven times we see throughout John's gospel, Jesus says, I am this. I am, this is who I am. If you want to know who Jesus is, listen to his words. And the statement that we're looking at today has massive implications for each and every one of us. You may be here today saying, you know, I'm not really sure about this church thing or I'm not really sure where I stand in a relationship with God. No matter where you are coming from, this statement today has massive implications for your life and for mine. So we're going to do what we often do here at Shades at the beginning of a message. We stand together for the reading of God's word. So I'd like to invite you to stand with me. And I'm going to read just one verse to get us started from John's gospel. John chapter 8, verse 12. And if you're new to Shades and you're wondering why are we standing back up? We were just standing to sing. Then we sat down. Now we're standing again. What is this? Well, we stand to be reminded that the word of God is our foundation. This is what the church of Jesus Christ stands upon. This is what the people of God stand upon. The the unshakable, immovable word of God. What God says is right and good and true. So this is the word of the Lord, John 8, verse 12. It says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together and then we will be seated. Father, we thank you for the privilege that it is to be reminded already in our time together of the, the good news of who you are and what you have done. I pray as we turn to your word that the Holy Spirit of God would, would, would move among us and show us what we need to see on this day. And I pray specifically for anyone who right now feels that they are walking in darkness anyone who feels overwhelmed by darkness, I pray that today through the power of your word, they would see the light of life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Use this time for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. And I do want to, I want to tell you as we step into this, we're going we're gonna to do a little work today through the word of God because we really need to see the context and, and really understand the setting, if you will, for, for why Jesus makes this statement, when he makes this statement, even where he makes this statement. Because again, the implications of this statement are massive. They're so incredibly significant. And the context helps us get a better picture of of why Jesus says what he says and and even where Jesus says what he says that gives it greater meaning 
and significant. So the first place I want us to turn just to get a little context here is the previous chapter of John, John chapter seven. So we're gonna be in John eight. We're gonna hang out there throughout this morning, but we're gonna flip around to several other passages of scripture. And first is John chapter seven. I wanna read a few verses. First from John seven, verse two, it says this. Now the feast of booths was at hand. Now the Feast of Booths was at hand. We're gonna talk about what that means. Verse 14 and 15 of John 7 goes on to say this, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began teaching and the Jews marveled saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? All right, so they, they see Jesus. There's this crowd of people that has begun to follow Jesus everywhere he goes because they've heard what Jesus has said and they've seen the miracles that he has begun to perform and they recognize there is something powerful about Jesus. He's not a normal guy. There's something going on here with Jesus and we wanna see more, we wanna hear more. And so everywhere he goes, a crowd gathers, but they know, cause they've been told, Jesus is from Nazareth. And Joseph who raised Jesus is just a simple man, a carpenter. This is not a rabbi. This is not a man of great education or academia. This is not a man who has been through everything that the Pharisees would have gone through or the scribes would have gone through to study the law. I mean, this is a very common man according to the people based on where Jesus comes from. And yet when they hear him teach, they realize there's something different about Jesus. He's able to speak with an authority that no one else can speak with. He, he can explain things in a way that no one else seems to be able to explain. He, he seems to be in touch with, with, with God in a way that no one else comes close. They're amazed at what he's teaching and he's teaching them in the midst of a feast. It's called the Feast of Booths. What is this all about? The Feast of Booths, is very significant in, in the, the calendar year, the annual cycle of the Jewish faith. It's, it's one of the, the three primary festivals that are observed by the Jewish people, the people of God. And the Feast of Booths specifically was a seven-day feast, a seven-day celebration or festival that was observed in the fall. It was a time when all the people would gather together in Jerusalem for wherever they were living. So literally thousands and thousands of people have crowded into Jerusalem to observe this feast. And the Bible tells us here in John 7 that Jesus goes in the middle of this feast to the temple and he begins to teach. Now what takes place in John 8 is actually after the feast has ended. We're going to go there in just a moment. But in the midst of the, this, this feast that's happening in Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples make their way into the middle of the mob crowd, all the people that have gathered, and he begins to teach. Why is this significant? Well, the Feast of Booths points the people back to the provision and the power of God. And I want to show you where, where this comes from. If you turn in your Bible now to the Old Testament, to the book of Leviticus. I know this is everybody's favorite book. 
And they're all students. You all have Leviticus memorized. You, you love all those rules and laws and sacrifices that are there in Leviticus. But there is incredible depth in the book of Leviticus because of what we see in what is revealed through Jesus Christ. So in Leviticus, after the people have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, you can, you can read about that in the book of Exodus. The people of God wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They, they, they have been released from slavery, and every step along the way, God has met their needs. God has provided the food they need. God has provided the path for them to take. God has shown them which way to go. Every step of the way, God has provided for the people. And throughout this entire 40 years of being in the desert, the people of God were living in temporary housing, temporary shelters. They, they were called booths. It's what you and I would call a tent. And so as the people are coming to this end of their journey through the wilderness, God says to Moses, I want you to establish this feast of booths so that no one can forget our 40-year camping trip. Okay? I want everyone to remember this 40 years in the desert when everybody was living in this temporary housing, packing up their tents every time God said move to a new area. I want everyone to feel this and remember this and tell their kids about it and tell their grandkids about it so that all the people can hear of the faithfulness of God. 40 years is a long time. It's a long time. And God wants to ensure that the people continue to tell this story. And so Leviticus 23, verse 33 and 34, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the 15th day of the seventh month and for seven days is the feast of booths, to the Lord. Skip down to verse 41. God says to Moses, you shall celebrate it as a statute forever throughout your generations and you shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All the native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of, G of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. What is God doing? He's saying to Moses, all right, I want you to instruct the people as, as you're about to go into the promised land, as this time in the wilderness is gonna come to an end, I want you to instruct the people every year in the fall, Grab your family, grab your kids, go set up a tent. Go on a seven-day camping trip. Why? So that the kids will ask you, why are we camping, mom and dad? So that the grandkids will ask you, why do we have to leave our houses and go sleep in a tent for seven days? What is this all about? God is telling the people, I want you to declare my faithfulness one generation to the next. This is good. We need to hear this in the church. We have many generations represented here in the church. One generation to the next is to tell the story of God's faithfulness. Tell the provision of God's faithfulness. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a story to tell. Someone needs to hear it. 
Your family especially needs to hear it. Tell the story of God's faithfulness. And so literally for hundreds of years from the time that God institutes the Feast of Booths for the people of God, the people would gather in the fall, they'd set up their tents in Jerusalem, they'd come together, they'd worship, they'd feast, they'd remember, and they'd tell the story of God's faithfulness. And it happens all the way up until the time that Jesus is on earth. It even continues to this day. The people of God, the Jews, who are, who are religious in our day and age, they still observe the Feast of Booths. This is something instituted by God, reminding people of the faithfulness of God. So what in the world does this have to do with the statement of Jesus that says, I'm the light of the world? Why are we even talking about this based on what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12? Well, I'm glad you asked that, okay? So let's go back to John 8. And in John 8, before we break down this statement of Jesus any further, we see even greater context of where Jesus is standing when he makes this statement. So it's coming right as the Feast of Booths has ended. The crowd of people are still gathered in Jerusalem. They're beginning to pack up their tents. They're beginning to think about their journey back home, wherever their home may be. But there's still a large crowd gathered in Jerusalem, many still coming to the temple. And Jesus goes into the temple and begins to teach and makes that statement, I am the light of the world. And John tells us exactly where it happens. Listen to this, verse 20. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. And what in the world is this all about? Why, why are details like this in the Bible? Well, I'll tell you, details like this are in the Bible because they have significance. Everything that's in the word of God has significance, has meaning. And so John includes where Jesus is standing when he makes the statement, I am the light of the world, so that we would get greater context into the power and the implications of this statement. And the treasury was a courtyard in the temple. It was a spot where the people of God would come into the temple. They would make an offering as they were coming to worship. It was a large place where people could gather. And during the Feast of Booths, in the treasury, in this courtyard, in this spot where Jesus was standing, when he makes the statement, I am the light of the world, there were four massive torches that would be put in the middle of the treasury. Four massive torches that every night as the sun was setting, a worker from the temple would climb to the top of that torch and light what would be equivalent to a bonfire on top of all four of those torches that would burn all through the night from sunset to sunrise the next day. The people would gather in the courtyard underneath these torches. They would sing, they would worship, they would celebrate. The scripture even says they would dance. Isn't that shocking? They even talk about, for, for some of you Baptists, that's hard to hear, but they would dance at church. Pretty wild, right? And it was said that the light from these torches was so bright that it could be seen anywhere in Jerusalem. And what were these torches all about? Well, again, we're going to go back 
to get the context and to see the significance of what's happening here. I'm telling you, the implications are massive. So let's go now to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 13. Again, this is the story of the people wandering in the desert after they've been released from bondage in Egypt. And as they wander in the desert, God does something miraculous to show them where to go. Look at this, Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 and 22. It says, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart before, from before the people. So think about this. For 40 years, every moment of every day, God was showing the people where to go. Physically showing the people, cloud by day, fire by night. Cloud by day, fire by night. When the cloud moves, you move. When the fire moves, you move. This physical representation of the presence of God and that fire, that pillar of fire that would be burning above the people at night. It became known as the Shekinah glory. The presence of God with the people. The dwelling of God over the people. This was fire from heaven that was pointing the people to God. And so during the Feast of Booths, four massive torches are lit in the treasury of the temple, illuminating the whole city of Jerusalem to remind the people of who God is, the one who leads us out of the darkness, the one who leads us with fire from heaven, the one who shows us the way to go. And so in a dramatic scene that's so much better than anything Hollywood could come up with, Jesus, at the end of the Feast of Booths, as the massive torches are still smoking from seven nights of fire and the, the, the wicks are still smoldering on top of these torches, he stands in the treasury and he says, I am the light of the world. And that's why John 20 says, no one arrested him because his time had not yet come. Because that's a statement that deserves not only to be arrested, it's a statement that deserves death if it's not true. Jesus is standing in the holy temple underneath four torches that represent fire from heaven, represent the presence of God among the people. And he says in front of a large crowd gathered at the temple, I am the light of the world. I am God. I am the one who leads you out of darkness into light. I am the one who was with you in the wilderness. I am the fire from heaven come down to show you the way. 
Do you see the weight of this? This is not just a statement about showing people something they might need to see. This is a statement of Jesus declaring before the people that he is God. And there's a group of people that hear this and they're not going to have it. In fact, there's a group of people that hear this and they probably are so furious, so angry, that they determine we've got to do whatever it takes to take this man down. And in this moment, they, they realize there, there's actually a, a law in our, in our Jewish law system that says the only way a, a statement can be true about someone, the only way a testimony can be true is if there's two people who are speaking that testimony. And so they say to Jesus, we're not buying this. We don't believe what you're saying. John chapter 8, verse 13, the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. We don't see another witness around. You're just saying this about yourself, which means your testimony is not true. They're trying to get Jesus on a technicality here. They're trying to say you can't be telling the truth because there's no witness around you. Backing up your statement, and Jesus answered them, verse 14, said, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from, and I know where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I did judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I, listen to this, Here's the witness you're asking for, Pharisees. I am the Father who sent me. Jesus is saying to those who are questioning him, I know you think, I know you think that, that you're getting close to God because you practice these religious deeds. This is really hard to, to hear in church. Jesus is saying, I know you think that, that you are right with God because you do all of these things. You're checking all these boxes. I know you think that you know God because you come to a church service. You give up a Sunday morning on Time Change Sunday. But the only way that you can know God is to know the one whom God has sent. This is so important, so important in the culture that we live in that can be so tangled up in religion and works and performance and deed and completely miss the point altogether. And Jesus is saying, look, I know you think that you know God because you're doing all of these things. And I'm telling you, the only way that you can know God is to know the one whom God has sent. Your effort will not save you. Your religious deeds will not save you. Because the reality is, and this is the hard thing that Jesus is saying to these religious leaders, the reality is even as you're surrounded by all of this religion, you're still in the dark. 
You're still in the dark. There's still darkness in your heart that needs to be brought into the light. I, I don't, again, know all of your stories. I don't know all the things that you're walking through, but I, I would ask you this morning to just stop and consider what Jesus is saying. What do you do with Jesus? Because what Jesus is saying demands a response of some kind. What Jesus is saying demands we, we really wrestle with his claim. He's claiming to be God. Not a voice for God. Not someone who's just speaking on behalf of God or a prophet of God. He's claiming to be God. What do you do with that statement? This quote from Pastor Timothy Keller, I think is very helpful here as we wrestle with what do we do with the claims of Jesus? Listen to what Keller writes. He says, in the Bible, the people who actually saw and heard Jesus never reacted indifferently or even mildly. Once they realized what he was claiming about himself, listen to this, either they were scared of him or furious with him or they knelt down before him and worshiped him. But nobody simply liked him. Nobody said he's so inspiring. He makes me wanna live a better life. No, if he is who he said he is, then you have to center your whole life on him. And if he is not who he said he is, then he is someone to hate or run away from. But no other response makes sense. Either he is God or he isn't. So he's absolutely crazy or infinitely wonderful. What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about the one who says he is the light of the world? He is God. Let's go back to John 8. John 8, verse 18 and 19. Jesus says, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, therefore, where is your Father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. For if you knew me, you would know my Father also, Jesus is giving us a lesson here on the power of the light and the power of the darkness. And the power of the darkness is really deceptive because many times the power of the darkness actually has taken hold in our lives in ways that we may not even give it credit for. You can be very, very religious, as we've just talked about, and still be blinded in the darkness. You can, you can, you can be trying to live a very moral life compared to people around you and still be completely in the darkness. Because the only way to be removed from the darkness is to be saved by the light. Jesus is showing us what he has come 
to do, to shine brightly in the darkness so that the light would be so unavoidable that that we would see the only way to be right with God is to be rescued from the darkness and brought into the light. When I was in high school, we had the opportunity with with some guys in my student ministry where, where I grew up in church to, to go on a little overnight trip to a place in Tennessee called the Cumberland Caverns. Anybody ever heard of the Cumberland Caverns? It's a place where, where you can go into these caves in Tennessee and, and go spelunking which is like such a cool word to say when you're in high school. We're going spelunking, right? And so we, we went, a small group of us from our youth group with a leader. We, we go to these caves and we go down in the caves, 300 feet underground in these caves. And there's certain spots that they've got lit up all pretty and all cool, but there's also a, a path that you can take through the caves, and it's this big loop where you hike around this loop to come back to the main area where you would camp out and and spend the night down in the cave. And so our leader says, we're we're gonna go on this path. We're gonna go on this hike. And so we set off on this little journey through the cave and there's, there's parts where you have to get down on your hands and knees. It's like really, really tight. You gotta crawl through these narrow passageways and you've got a helmet on and a headlight and there's a few little like strung lights along the way, but it's a weird feeling. There are parts where you have to turn sideways and like shimmy through because it's so narrow and so tight. And we, we came to this certain spot on the trail where the trail kind of opened up a little bit But we realized there were no lights anywhere in this little area of the cave, just the lights that were on our head. And so our leader looked at us and he said, okay, fellas, I I want you to turn off your headlight. And so we all, you know, doing what he says, we all turn off our, our headlamps on our helmets. And I'm telling you, it's the darkest place I've ever experienced. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. There, I mean, there was zero light. This was long before cell phones or, or Apple watches. or I mean, there was no light anywhere, no artificial light, no natural light. It was total and complete darkness. We, we couldn't remember who was standing beside us. And we're like kind of reaching out to make sure people are still there. It was a very strange feeling. And, and after a few moments, several of us, I mean, we were getting nervous. It's, it's a scary thing when you are in total and complete darkness. And our leader said, okay, boys, turn your lights back on. So we all flipped our lights back on. We kind of took a deep breath, thankful. Okay, everybody's there. You know, no cave monster has taken anyone away. We're all still good. Everybody's okay, right? And before we start walking again, he looked at us. He said, fellas, I want you to remember this. The darkness brings with it confusion and fear. But in the light, there is peace and there is a path forward. The darkness brings with it confusion and fear, but in the light, there is peace and there is a path forward. So have you seen that light? Have you received the gift of light that pierces the darkness? 
have you received from the one who says he is the light of the world, the gift of being brought into the light, of being forgiven of your darkness, being forgiven of your sin? Have you received the gift of the light that sets you right with God? When Jesus makes this claim about himself, it is a claim that demands a response. It is a claim that must be wrestled with. I love what's written in Matt Carter's commentary on John's gospel. He says, when Jesus calls himself the light of the world, he's not just identifying himself as God, he's commanding them to follow him. Jesus is telling them in no uncertain terms, the only way for them to leave slavery is to submit to him. The only way for them to make it through the desert is, and reach the promised land is to submit to him. And his claim of authority is no different today. The only way to escape slavery to sin is to follow Jesus. The only way to know where to walk and also to make it to heaven is to follow Jesus. So are you living in the light? Have you received the gift of the light. And here's the amazing thing about what God does through this statement that Jesus makes. This, this idea of light, it permeates all throughout the word of God. It always represents God. It always points us to God. The light shows us God. He is light and there is no darkness in him at all. And Jesus said to all his followers, something that we need to hear today as we leave. If you have the light, if you have the light, you now have the opportunity to go and be the light. Matthew 5, 14 through 18, in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lays this before those who would follow him what does he say? He says this about the light. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Some of you today, I know, I know, that you're recognizing that a light is shining on you in a way that you've not experienced before. And you're recognizing that you need to step out of the darkness into the light. You're recognizing what Christ has done for you. I, I would say before you, trust in what Jesus has said. And trust in what Jesus has done. Step into the light. And for those of you who have received this good news, may we never forget this good news is to go with us everywhere we go. This is why we talk about our mission around here, to leverage all that we are for the sake of the gospel. Why? Because we have the light of life and the world is wandering in the darkness and the world needs to see that there is hope in the light of the world. And so we take this light with us everywhere we go. 
so that those who are in darkness can see. There is power. There is life. There is salvation in the light of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us as we close our time. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the privilege that it is collectively as a group of people to turn our attention to your word. And I know that as we do so, your word promises it will not return void. It's doing work in hearts and minds right now. And so I pray, Lord, as your spirit moves among us for for those who recognize today that, that they've never received the light of the world. They've never received the light of life that is Jesus Christ. I pray that today would be the day. They would recognize their need, that they would recognize the invitation to, to be brought out of darkness into the light. Lord, I pray that there would be some who would trust in you, Jesus, the light of the world. And as we close our time, Lord, I pray for those who are followers of Christ, those who are the church. Oh, Lord, may we never forget the power of the light to shine brightly in the darkness. And may we see, may we see the path that you want us to take to share the good news of the light everywhere we go. Thank you, thank you for not leaving us in fear and confusion in the darkness, thank you for stepping in to our stories to show us an even better story of the light of the world that invites us to be right with God. Use us to share this story, Lord, wherever we go. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.